Isaiah chapter 53. Amen. The Lord has been good this past week, and I thank Him for His goodness and mercy. The Bible speaks of a word from far away. I had a phone call this last week from an individual who was in our church in Germany back in the 90s. He's in the military, and he's in uh, Fort Hood the next few weeks. And so he called and said he's going to make every effort, Lord willing, to come by and visit us on a Sunday, if possible, if not during the week. But it was a joy hearing from him after so many years. On, uh, so his name is Philip Jorgensen. And uh, he was a member of our church, and he was just newly married with a young child, and now his children are, he's got three, I believe, they're all grown up now. And so uh, anyway, uh, it was a thrill to hear his voice. And so I hope and pray that the Lord will providently grant that meeting. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1, Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected, a man of, uh, a rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we've been able now the last few moments to enter into thy presence by prayer. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to intercede on behalf of others. Lord, we thank you for the hymns that speak so clearly of our crucified Savior. We thank you of the Psalms that can read of the penitent Psalm 51. And they're the Psalms that speak so clearly about our Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank you so much for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Lord, I pray that this morning you would help us, Lord, to, as the hymnist wrote, survey more closely than ever before the wonderful cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, may we see him as he is. And Lord, I pray that you would draw us closer to thee. Help us, dear God, we pray that we might be comforted by these words of the prophet Isaiah. And I pray, Father, Lord God, if there's any here this morning that knows not Christ, Lord, that they would see and hear how the wounds of Christ pleads for them. Lord, we love you and thank you so much for all you've done for us. We could never repay you. We ask, Lord, that you'd be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. For it's Christ's name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. We sang that hymn that we're, some of us are no, still unfamiliar with, and these words 
were these, in the cross of Christ I glory, towering over the wrecks of time. All the light of sacred story gathers round its head sublime. When the woes of life o'ertake me, hopes deceive and fears annoy, never shall the cross forsake me. Lo, it glows with peace and joy. When the sun of bliss is beaming, light and love upon my way, from the cross the radiance streaming adds more luster to the day. Bane, which is sorrow, bane and blessing, pain and pleasure, by the cross are sanctified. Peace is there that knows no measure. At the cross, joys that through all time abide. That old hymn bears an amazing truth that I fear many Christians today and in every generation have often overlooked or were ignorant of. And that is what comfort and peace and joy is offered unto the believer when we understand the sufferings and afflictions of our Savior. That cross which is despised by the world has a wondrous attraction to the child of God. For what Christ did on Calvary and what He suffered in our place brings us as His children the greatest comforts, peace, and hope in this present world against all opposition and all worries and all fears. As I studied this passage of Scripture this last week, it was clear to me that as I grow older, it seems as though I know so less about Christ. When I look back over the last 40 years and all the things I've read, and as often as I've preached from Scripture, of course, and all the sermons, it just felt like I knew so little about Christ. And yet how shall a mortal man who lives but maybe 40, 50, 60 years ever come to fully comprehend an eternal God and His truths? His judgments are unsearchable and His ways are past finding out. How little do we know truly of Christ? I believe that's why Paul expressed it as seeking or pressing forward to apprehend that for which he was apprehended. It was something that defined his entire life. For me, he said to live is Christ. And it was though he could never get enough of Christ. There are many things in this present world which seek to trouble and vex the true believer. One doesn't need to be saved very long to be acquainted with that divine truth. Things which incessantly, continually, seek to dash and even destroy our hopes, our comforts, and our joys in Christ. 
be it this sinful world in which we live, our adversary, the devil, and even our own hearts. We're constantly being threatened by these things in this present world. Yet our text, along with these old hymns and psalms, speak of a comfort which is strange and alien to all those outside of Christ. For like I said, that which is despised by the world has a wondrous attraction or beauty to those who have believed our report and to whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed. And yet, beloved, how few who have believed this report resort, speaking of Isaiah 53, resort to its divine truths to find peace and comfort in their troubled and vexed times. When I considered over my past 40 years or so of being a Christian, I can count probably on one hand how many times I went back to the sufferings and afflictions of Christ to find comfort and peace and joy in my troubled and vexed times. And yet we find the greatest source of comfort, joy, and peace in His sufferings and afflictions. When the woes of life overtake me, hopes deceive and fears annoy, never shall the cross forsake me. Lo, it glows with peace and joy. How many times when we've suffered in this present life as God's people with trouble or anxiety or affliction or tribulation, how often have we turned, for example, to Isaiah 53 to find comfort and peace? Usually we'll turn immediately to Psalm 23, which is of itself not bad. It's not of itself sinful. In fact, there's a lot of comfort everywhere in God's Word. But how often have we turned in our troubling times to survey the afflictions and sufferings of our Savior to receive comfort and joy and peace? I dare say very few. Bane or sorrow and blessing, pain and pleasure by the cross are sanctified. Peace is there that knows no measure at the cross. Joys that through all time abide. Our forefathers knew something that is lacking in this generation of the comforts and blessings of the pains and afflictions and sorrows of our Savior which He bore in our stead. When the old psalmist wrote those words, when I survey the cross upon which the Prince of Glory died. He knew very well the comforts and joys of surveying, not merely glimpsing, but surveying, which means looking closely at every single detail. That's what survey means. Look at it closely in every distinct detail. He said, when I look at it and I survey it and I admire it, <laughs> it brings the greatest joy and comfort. Paul makes this divine declaration in Romans chapter 8. Who is he that condemneth? Think about that child of God if you know anything about your holy Christian faith. 
in the context of Romans 8, who is he that condemneth? Who can rise up and condemn the elect? It's like a challenge to all that oppose God's people, from Satan to the world to even our own wicked hearts. Paul says, who is he that condemneth? You know what his answer is? It is Christ that died. Yes, he says, yea, rather risen, but he, he begins with, it is Christ that died. That which forever silences any and all condemnation against the true believer, be it the sinful world, our great adversary, the devil, even our own guilt-ridden hearts, is the death of Christ on Calvary. You want to silence the guilt of your heart and mind and the, and the devices of Satan in this world? Look to Calvary. It is Christ that died. No condemnation, we sang. It's also Romans chapter 8. No condemnation, now I dread. And I like this version of that hymn better than the ones that's in our hymn book. Jesus and all in Him is mine. We could actually stop right there and go home and contemplate that and still not come to a full understanding of that. And all in Him is mine. Everything that is in Christ is mine. Everything that Christ suffered, He did in my stead. So everything that is in Christ is mine. Everything that is Christ is mine. I uh, can't say that enough. Everything that is in Christ is mine. Everything that is in Christ is mine. Another old hymn which we mentioned last week says the words, His wounds shall for me plead. His wounds for me shall plead. My faith has found a resting place. His wounds for me shall plead. Oh, beloved, may we take a few minutes this morning to seriously contemplate that as we look at this amazing passage of Scripture and may we learn what the old hymnist wrote about, about how the cross of Christ sanctifies our every sorrow or every blessing or pain or pleasure. Peace is there that knows no measure, joy that through all time abides. Look at Isaiah 53, 3. Listen to this. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I want to just touch on that portion this morning. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I want us to see how Christ in his sufferings and in this text would identify himself with those whom he would redeem. The prophet said he's a man of sorrows. A man. When Christ identifies himself with those to whom he redeems. 
he would share their sorrows. According to our text, listen to me. I want to go very slow. I want you to really grasp this because there's a lot of comfort in this. It says he identifies himself with us by being a man of sorrows. He that knew no such thing as sorrow. Listen to me. God knew no such thing as sorrow. Sorrow is the effects and fruits of sin. That's why this world lies in sorrow. It's the effects and fruits of sin. He who knew no sorrow is made a man of sorrows. Follow me. Because I believe a lot of times we lack the comfort and peace and joy that we look for so much in Christ because we don't draw nigh to Him who is a man of sorrows for us. But the prophet said He's a man of sorrows. And he also says, and he who knew no griefs would acquaint, listen to the words, would acquaint himself with grief. Acquaint means intimately. He didn't just grieve. It said he acquainted himself with that same grief which sin had wrought in us. He intimately acquainted himself with that grief. He came to know personally what grief meant and what torments it would bring to our souls. Our sorrows and our griefs. Sorrows is distress caused by loss. Misery. Prophet says he's a man of sorrows. He was distressed and caused by a loss. Stay with me and follow me because I want you, want you to understand this so that you might be more acquainted with this man of sorrow. He was distressed, a sorrow which is a distress caused by loss and misery. Grief is a deep and piercing distress caused by bereavement. Deep and piercing distress caused by bereavement. For this he would, the Bible says, acquaint intimately himself with. He would know our sorrows and our grief. Let me ask you a question and without getting ahead of myself. In your lifetime alone, how much have you sorrowed and grieved? How much have you been distressed by loss? How much have you felt that deep and piercing distress caused by bereavement? Christ took that same sorrow and grief upon himself. My problem with a lot of Christians is they don't have or they lack or they're ignorant of how personal Christ is to his people. Yes, verse 2, he condescended, took upon him flesh, became man. Yet he did more than that, much more than that. He was not only uh, wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, he was not only, we're not only healed by his stripes, 
but he took upon himself our sorrows and our griefs. And stay with me because there's a reason for that. For these sorrows of which the prophet speaks and the grief which he acquainted himself with, listen to me, was not his own. Was not his own. He says, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Look down at verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So you see, he introduces him in verse 3 as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. In verse 4, he describes why he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. For our benefit, he bore all my sorrows and all my griefs. He's intimately touched by what sorrows me, grieves me. When I'm sorrow from loss or distress or bereavement, Christ understands that because He took that upon Himself. And this is God manifested in the flesh. He not merely died for my sins, which is good, and suffered physical pain and torment and the judgment of God, but He took upon Himself my sorrows and my griefs so that He might be a better high priest, a more intimate brother. It behooved Him to be like unto His brethren. Surely. Surely, verse 4, He hath borne our sorrows and carried our grief. What thou, my Lord, O sacred head now wounded, what thou, my Lord, hast suffered was all for sinners gain. Mine, mine was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. We're not always suffering under a moment of sorrow. Listen to me. We're not always suffering under grief. There are times in our lives when we have times of happiness and joy and peace. Thank God for that. But he was a man of sorrows. From the day he entered into this world as a babe until the day he left this world, resurrected and ascended to heaven, his entire life was a life of sorrows and griefs. He bore that for you and I. So every sorrow, every grief we could ever imagine or we could ever face in this life, we have a Savior who has intimately acquainted himself with that so that he might be someone who comforts us in that. So you see, when you read of Isaiah 53, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, you read also he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. It helps us to believe and understand that he understands and sympathizes with our sorrows and grace. That's how intimate, that's how intimate Christ is to his people. Do you know that? Have you ever been in that moment in life when sorrows and grief overwhelmed your soul? There is nowhere to turn, no earthly comfort, no one to comfort you. I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, have some to greater degrees than others when it just overwhelms your soul. It's looking at Isaiah 53 and reminding ourselves that he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief that comforts us 
in the depths of our sorrows and griefs that he knows and he sympathizes with us. That's why those old hymns speak of how the cross is a place of great comfort. We sing often, and we did this to this morning, and can it be? There's a verse, uh, in most of those hymns, there's more verses than what you have in your hymn book. Rock of Ages, I think, is like 10 or 12, if not mistaken, many more verses than the few we have. But And can it be? There's a verse that's not in our hymn book that says this. Listen to it. Still the small inward voice I hear that whispers, all my sins forgiven. Still the atoning blood is near that quenched the wrath of hostile heaven. We're enmities of God. I feel the life his wounds impart. I feel the life his wounds impart. How little do we hear of such biblical truth so in-depth as that in this generation of superficial Christianity. I feel the life his wounds impart. I feel the Savior in my heart. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. over in Matthew chapter 8. Our Lord quotes this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 8. Verse 16. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick. <clears throat> that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by Isaiah, the prophet saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, let us be careful not to rest the scriptures to fit our own opinions and understanding, but let scripture interpret scripture. Many misinterpret the scripture and claim to have healing powers today. That's not what the Lord's doing here. I want you to Pay attention to this. We want Scripture to speak for itself. Christ's reference to Isaiah 53.4 is directly related to his healing of the sick and lame as he walked amongst men. Yes. That's why Christ himself quotes Isaiah 53. Yet it was to emphasize a much greater healing than merely a physical healing. Follow me. For Christ's healing of the body as he walked amongst men was intended to lead to the healing of the soul. Christ never healed physically merely to heal physically. There was always the intention of the salvation of the soul. Never to merely heal physically. For Christ would not seek to merely heal the body while the soul was left to be damned. That would be impossible. There was a greater emphasis here. He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows is what Isaiah said. That he might, as our high priest, sympathize with the sufferers and make provision for alleviating our sorrows. That he make them 
or may take them away. He sympathizes with us, yes, but he also alleviates our sorrows. Why? That he might take them away. You know, it's, it's okay, and we've all experienced that, when we are experienced times of grief and sorrow and others sympathize with it, that's fine. We get in these situations in life where maybe the sorrow and heartache we're facing, maybe those that are trying to sympathize with this can't understand it because they haven't experienced what we did. And so we understand, we appreciate, we respect that people try to sympathize with this a little bit, but they can't alleviate it. They can't make it go away. Christ can. That's why it says he borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Not only does he sympathize with our sorrows, and that is of itself an amazing thing that God would stoop that low for someone as lowly as you and I in the depths of our heartache and sorrows and sympathize with our pain. But he's also, because he bore it and carried it, he's able to alleviate it and to make it go away. That's an amazing truth. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched. That's sympathy. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, because of that, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What drives us to the throne of grace boldly, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need? It's a truly understanding and acknowledging and an assurance that he's touched by the feelings of my infirmities. Sometimes when I hear Christians pray in the midst of their afflictions and sorrows and troubles, it's almost like Christ is so impersonal and so far and so distant. No, he shouldn't be. I forget who the preacher was. I believe it was Hal Harris. might have been someone else somewhere around there. But he had a visitor friend at his house one night. And Hal, Hal Harris's office was downstairs. And the visitor was sleeping upstairs. Well, about early in the morning, 3 or 4, around there somewhere, he got up to go downstairs to get something to drink. And he heard Hal Harris in his office. And he listened for a minute because it was silent and quiet. He talked as though he was having a normal conversation with anybody. And he thought, okay, he must be strange, but he must be visiting with a friend. And so he went, got his drink, went back to bed. And later on in the morning when everyone was up, he said, I hope I didn't disturb you while you was visiting with your friend. And so early in the morning, he said, there was no one in my office. He said, well, it, your conversation was so familiar. It's like, he said, I was praying. And he said he spoke to God as he was his friend. Oh, beloved, I'm not 
denying or degrading lofty prayer. <laughs> but sometimes we just need to pray as he's our friend. We're afraid we're going to do some kind of irreverence <clears throat> by entering into his presence without always giving him this great and high adoration, which we should. Don't misunderstand me, but don't forget also that he's our friend. And in times of sorrow and grief, that's what we need. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Do you see now how the cross of Christ can bring great peace and joy and why our forefathers understood that when they wrote those hymns? Christ wept at the grave site of Lazarus. And the Pharisees didn't like anything that Christ did, but oh, that day they looked at him weeping and they said, oh, how he, how he loved him. Oh, how he loved him. It's not wrong to weep at the graveside of a loved one. But when we do, there's someone who knows and is acquainted with it and sympathizes with us and seeks to alleviate that and enable us to bear it. He had compassion for the widow whose only son died in Luke chapter 11. As he walked amongst men, he seen things other men overlooked. Didn't notice. The woman with the mite, you remember? Everybody else cast in their abundance, but she, oh, he, he notices. Christ notices the small things that many people. And when you and I are in our rooms alone at night during the daytime, or sometimes we feel like the whole world's caving in on us, and there's nothing, there's nobody that understands. There's somebody that does because he bore our grief and carried our sorrows. Remember when he was on the cross of Calvary? Remember when he was born and the man came to lift up Christ and the woman prophetess and all that, and they spoke of Mary, saying her heart would be pierced, seeing her own son die on Calvary when he was on the cross and all that was going on, imagine everything that was going on. The wrath of God was upon him. Our sins were upon him. Demons of hell were fighting against him. There was a lot going on. But he recognized his mother standing at the foot of the cross. And he said to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And John, behold thy mother. In a moment when you think he was so busy with everything else, the salvation of men's souls, bearing the wrath of God, our sins laid upon him, he noticed a grieving mother and would not leave her with her grief. Do you know Christ that intimately? Why not? Why do you make him so unapproachable? Even on Calvary, 
again, everything that's going on. What did he do? He cried, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they do. You see, Christ born our <laughs> griefs and carried our sorrows. You know what makes Christianity, you know the heart of Christianity is? Christ. It's Christ. It's all about Christ. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. To live. That's why I live. It's for Christ. Everything I do, everything I live for is for Christ. And I'm getting there, but Paul gloried only in one thing. And we'll read that text at the end. But he gloried only in one thing, he said. And that had to do with the Lord. What do you think the psalmist, even in Psalm 34, 18, could write, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. And save it such as be of a contrite, a sorrowful, remorse spirit. How could God do that? Christ was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Psalm 147, verse 3 says, He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds, which is the word grief. He healeth the broken heart, broken in heart, and bindeth up their wounds. Why? How could he? Well, because he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Isaiah sixty three nine, in all their affliction he was afflicted. I, sometimes hard to comprehend. I mean we and, and don't misunderstand me. There are times, listen to me, there are times when we need to trust and have faith and confidence in the providence of God when tragedy strikes. Sovereignty of God, yes, those are all there. But don't forget the personal part of that. What do you mean by that? Job said, I don't know what to do. I look to the right and the left, behind me and forward, in other words, he looked at the providences of God. He looked at all that he knew about God. He said, I, didn't, I couldn't find him anywhere. But he knoweth the way that I take. See, personal. All the knowledge, all the understanding of God's providence and sovereignty didn't give him any comfort. What gave him comfort is he said, because God knows me. And I know God. And He'll never leave me nor forsake me. He'll always love me and be with me. He'll always be there for me because He's my God and He cares for me. And sometimes, beloved, that's all we need. We don't need to have answers. We don't need to find books to find out why God's providence, is, providence seems to be against me or know something about the sovereignty of God. We just need to know Christ cares for me. How do I know that? He bore my griefs and he carried my sorrows. Hebrews says, Wherefore in all these things it behooved him. 
to be fit for and necessary, to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make intercession for the sins of the people. For in, in that he himself has suffered being tempted. Now watch, this is really, I noticed this, this last week, these words. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to succour. Relieve, aid, help in times of hardship and distress. He's able. Well, wasn't God able before? Yes, but not in this fashion. He was able before because he's God and he's sovereign, but now he's made more able because he understands grief and sorrow. He's acquainted himself with it. Them that are tempted. Zechariah said, he that touches you touches the apple of his eye. I've always loved that verse. The apple of the eye is the most sensitive part of the body. It's the very center of your eyeball. The Lord says, this is how I feel about you. When somebody touches you, when somebody afflicts you, when you're troubled by anything, it's as though they touch the apple of my eye, and that aggravates me. I don't like that. That's how much I care about you. They touch the apple of my eye. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. It was amazing. In verse 3, it said we esteem not this humble person. He said we esteemed him not. Yet in verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and we did esteem him. But we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. You here this morning that are without Christ, this is your great sin at this very moment this morning. You need to listen. Because you've heard that he is born, our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet because you don't believe in Christ, because you're not believing in the suffering Savior, you esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. It's the ingratitude and wickedness of sinful man. Ingratitude. And the prophets declaring that. Because they do not recognize nor acknowledge why Christ was severely afflicted. Believing God in our text, believing God afflicted him for his own sins. That's what the Jews' problem was. When he was on the cross, they thought that was God. God's afflicting him. And the prophet here, Isaiah, speaks it out and says, No, you esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. You think he's stricken and smitten because God afflicted him. No, Watch this. But, I like this wording, listen to this. Ye, yet ye did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. For our iniquities. For our peace. The Lord had laid on him all the iniquity, the iniquity of us all. The prophet declares that. He's despised and rejected men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. For surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Isn't that amazing? And I'll wind this down. Isn't that amazing? He begins like he begins with this before he even gets to being wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities, stripes. 
The Lord laid on him all the iniquity of all. He speaks to him, becoming first a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Puts a personal touch to his sufferings. That's why all those old hymns speak about how much the cross, the sufferings of Christ, brought them so much comfort and hope and peace. When you need comfort, hope, and peace in the midst of trials and afflictions, sorrows, or grief, or whatever it might be, turn to Isaiah 53. Martin Luther believed every Christian should be able to memorize Isaiah 53. Many believe Isaiah 53 is the most clearest and wonderful and profound de declaration and proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere in Scripture. There's comfort here. Lord, I feel so guilty and unworthy. I, I made a mistake again. I sinned again. I, he was wounded for our transgressions. He's brewed for our iniquities. With his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Paul, in Galatians, declared that he gloried only in one thing. He said, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the cross. By whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. What? By the cross. An old preacher once, one time said, and I've quoted it for years, he said, as a child of God, we begin at the shadow of Calvary, at the foot of Calvary, and we never leave the foot of Calvary. Never leave the foot of Calvary. Always stay near enough to survey it. And you'll find the greatest comforts of a child of God can find because we have many adversaries and many enemies and many oppositions. The cross of Calvary offers us the greatest peace and joy and comfort against all those oppositions. Even as we think about something we have missed because we've been in different buildings, which we're going to get back to do, the Lord's Supper, even Paul says this, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show what? The Lord's death. Till he come. Why is death? Hopefully this morning you'll understand a little bit more why. Christ would have us to be always reminded of his death and what he purchased and what it brought us. Why? He knew, he knew in his death we find the greatest comfort. Till he come. Yes, he's coming back. We look forward to that. But in his death, in this present life, that's what we need to stay close to and observe and to keep in our hearts and our minds because nothing can condemn us. What silences every condemnation is his death. Who can condemn us? It is Christ that died. May we ever live, abide, survey the wondrous cross of Calvary and find the comforts that no matter what happens in this life, Christ has bore all these things for us that he might be a perfect, faithful, merciful high priest in all things pertaining to God. 
who is more perfect as a high priest than one who suffered as we yet without sin, who can intercede on our behalf before the Father. Praise God, we have an intimate and personal relationship with Christ because of what he suffered as he walked amongst men. May we find great comfort in that in these upcoming days and months. And even as we cross <laughs> that great divide called death, even as it approaches, may God give us grace to look at the death of Calvary, the death of Christ on Calvary, find great comfort because, oh, I'm telling you, that old man death will sure try to hang some guilt and hang some, some confusion on you, I'm telling you. Oh, look to Calvary, look to what he accomplished and find out where death does. Death must flee. Amen. And it's amazing how the, the death of Christ and the sufferings of Christ can comfort God's people. May we ever be comforted by these things. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your amazing word. We thank you, Lord, for your great grace and mercy. We thank you for suffering in our place. We thank you, Lord, that you bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Lord, thank you so much that you did all that, that we might be redeemed. I pray for those this morning who know not Christ. Lord God, I feel so sorry for the wretched souls that they have nowhere to turn when they're sorrowful and grieving. No hope, no comfort, no peace. Lord, I pray that you'd show them their demise and help them to realize and see Christ on Calvary for the very first time. And Lord, I pray that they would hear how your wounds plead for them. And Lord, that they would turn to thee the full heart of repentance. Acknowledge thee. Oh, Father, I pray that you would draw men unto Christ. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.